0: to come and hear from your word this morning. We exalt you in this moment, Lord. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering in the healing of sick bodies today and the salvation of souls and the strengthening of your people. Receive the reward that you died for, Jesus. We thank you for the freedom to gather in your name and to drink from the river of eternal life. So, Lord, open the word to us, just as you did to your disciples, that our hearts would burn within us as we seek to follow you, Lord, in this world that has walked away from you. Give us strength for the journey today, Lord. Encourage our hearts. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Somebody stacked up my water bottle supply. I love when that happens. What a special surprise. I haven't told a joke, and I'm not the type of pastor that tells jokes every week, okay? I I, I think that gets overbearing sometimes. But I think this one is pertinent today. So um, a friend sent this to me. So there was... A man who was an atheist, didn't believe in God, and, uh, and was taking a walk through the woods one day and saying, my gosh, what beautiful skies, what glorious trees, and the animals just are so lively, and everything is just so full of uh, wonder and splendor today. But he uh, had spent his whole life uh, really just rejecting God, getting other people to not believe in God, and so on and so forth. And he's walking through the woods, and he's, he suddenly sees this grizzly bear come out of the woods and start kind of walking towards him, and it's picking up pace, and he starts running and running and running, and then suddenly he trips on this tree root, and he falls. And the bear is running up to him, and is like got it, raising a paw in the air. And the atheist cries out, "Oh my God!" And everything stops. Time stands still. Uh, the 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 bear is like frozen in time. And the man uh, he hears this voice, and he says it's interesting, uh, you know, that you're calling on me now because you've spent your whole life uh, teaching people that my creation was just a cosmic accident and that there's no meaning to life and that I don't exist and so on and so forth. And so he said, God says to the, the voice of God says to the man, are you expecting at this point now that, uh, I do something in your life and, uh, and so forth. And the man, and the atheist replies, he says, you know, you're right. It would be hypocritical for me at this point, having lived this life again, You to ask you to make me a Christian right now in this moment, but would you consider making the bear a Christian? And uh, so God says in his grace, he says, "Okay, very well. And then uh, time picks back up again, the voice uh, vanishes, and the bear, uh, his hand that's raised in the air, it lowers down, and then the bear, uh, he bows his head, and he begins to pray, I thank you, Lord God of heaven and earth, for this bountiful food that I am about to receive from your harvest, in Jesus' name. So there's not a bear that's coming after us, but there is a lion. The scripture calls the devil. uh, He says he's not a lion, but it says he's like a roaring lion and he's looking for someone to devour. And I can tell you that um, Satan is especially looking for Christians to devour who are strong and firm and steadfast in their faith and who are living holy lives, and who are advancing the kingdom. And he is looking to uh, beat you down, and destroy you, and tempt you, and get you to turn away from God. And I want to look at Jesus' time battling Satan in the wilderness for 40 days today in Luke chapter 4. So you can direct your attention there. And there's three things uh, that w- the sermon today is called, How to Overcome Temptation. And there's three things that we're going to look at. There's three things that you can do to overcome uh, temptation. And one is know your identity. And two is recognize temptation as temptation. And three is respond actively. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. We're going to go through those three points as we look at the these scriptures and what Jesus was going through uh, in the wilderness. So it tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But it says that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. So interestingly, it seems like the Spirit of God actually led Jesus into this place to have to do battle with temptation with the devil. What is up with that? What's up with this character, the devil? Well, the word literally means slanderer and accuser. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you that in the Christian life, the devil will try to wear you down with slander and accusations. And a lot of it will come from his own voice coming through your thoughts about how you're not a good enough Christian and how you fail too much and all of these things and how you should give up. And if he can't get you to listen to his voice through your thoughts, he'll use other people to bring it against you. And nothing can be And some of you know this. Nothing is more deflating Spiritually, emotionally, and relationally than dealing with slander and accusations. Right? And so the devil wants to wear you down with it to get you to stop and to turn away. He wanted Jesus to stop moving forward and to turn away from the cross. That's what he wanted ultimately out of this whole thing. And you're going to see that come to light. So, number one, I said, how do you overcome temptation? Know your identity. Jesus was just before this scene in the Bible he had just at the end of Luke chapter 3 come out of the waters of baptism and the holy spirit descended on him and the voice of the father spoke out from heaven you are my beloved son with you i am pleased and if you've given your life to Jesus the father has spoken that declaration over you you're my beloved son you're my daughter with you i'm well pleased because, you see, when, he, when God looks at you, he's pleased, not, not based on how good you did today, but on, based on Jesus' record that has been given to you. So he sees you through that, through those eyes. He sees you as in Jesus. And you are his beloved son or daughter. Okay? And one of Satan's primary goals in the Christian life, for Christians, is in, in a, he attacks you to undermine your belief in who you are in Christ. Now notice that I didn't say he attacks who you are in Christ because he can't. He can't take that away from you. But he attacks your belief in who you are in Christ because if he can get you to doubt that, he can begin to get you to turn away and withdraw your faith. Okay? And that's what he goes after. And he goes after it with Jesus. Okay? Look what he says to Jesus he says, "If You are the son of God. If you really are Mr. Special Son of God, then why don't you turn this stone into bread? Okay. He goes after his identity as the beloved son. This is the core tactic of the enemy against not only Jesus... 2,000 years ago, but against us today. If you really are a daughter of the living God, why don't you pray more? If you really are a son of the living God, why did you sin so much this last week? And it's that voice of slander and accusation that comes from the evil one to try and wear you down so that you don't trust that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus Christ is your righteousness, that his spirit is living in you, okay? I'm going to say more, a little bit about the spiritual warfare thing in a minute. So uh, the devil, one thing he'll do also do is he'll point out your sin even after you've confessed it. Okay, so you fall, you have a fall with, with you blow up on somebody in anger and you have a fall and then you ask God to forgive you and you ask the person to forgive you. But Satan keeps bringing this recurring thought about how you're just a slave of anger, right? Then you know it's the voice of the devil. And his voice is a condemning voice. It feels heavy when you feel like I just can't bear the weight of my sin. I need to pay for it. Something bad needs to happen to me to pay for my sin. I need to feel as guilty as possible for this sin. That's the voice of condemnation weighing on you. Now, the voice of God when in dealing with us and our sin is a voice of conviction And it's not a condemning voice that makes you feel doomed. It's a sweet voice that calls you to turn away from the sin and to turn back to God, to confess it to him and release it to him. And then the Bible says that he sees your sins as if they've been thrown into the depths of the sea. But Satan wants to make you think that God threw out a fishing line and pulled it back up and is now dangling it over your head. That's what the devil wants to do. Okay, So there's a major difference between those two voices, the voice of condemnation and the voice of conviction. Now... The spirit will always turn us gently back to God. Okay, he won't he won't try to pound us with guilt and shame. That's not coming from God. So here's here's kind of the difference. The devil will say something like this. If you are really God's child, you should be able to prove it by being a stronger Christian. You should be able to do it by being more successful and more effective in your ministry and your job and things like that. But God's voice says something like this. You are my child. And nothing's going to change that. Rest in that truth and I will make you stronger and more effective by my spirit living in you and through you. Okay, So that's a voice of encouragement, a voice of hope, a voice of friendship that God is with you and is going to walk you through. Even, he's going to continue to mature you even in the places where you're the most weak in life right now. It's not a voice of shame and accusation. There's a, there's a big, you see the difference there between, between those two voices? <clears throat> so how does Jesus overcome round one with his devil? There's three rounds, and he overcomes round one. Jesus knew his identity as a beloved son. Nothing was going to take that assurance away from him. He knew the Father loved him and was pleased with him. <clears throat> and Jesus' identity always rested in what God said was true of him. We talked a little bit about this last week. Because your own thoughts will tell you things about you. And the devil will tell you things about you. And people around you will say things about you and tell you things about you. But you have to know God's voice and what God says about you. Because what he says is ultimately true. And when he looks at you, he says son or daughter. Okay? And no, one, no one's going to take that away from you. So um, Jesus says to the devil, he quotes the Bible and he says, from the Old Testament, he says, man shall not live... On bread alone, in other words, there's far more, there's things far more important than physical food, such as doing the will of God. And I know who I am in him, so I don't need, even though I'm really hungry because I've been fasting for a really long time, I don't need to turn this stone into bread. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't need to bow down to that. Because when the devil gets you doubting your identity, what he gets you doing is starting to indulge in alternative sources of satisfaction and pleasure. Because he says, God doesn't delight in you. You can't delight in him right now. Go get drunk. Go indulge in, in, in this, that, and the other thing. Okay? And Jesus says, there's things that are more important to me, and that is to do his will because I'm satisfied in him and I know who I am in him. So when you're faced with accusations against your identity, when you hear that voice that I'm probably not even saved, God probably doesn't really love me, he surely doesn't like me. Maybe he loves me, but he doesn't like me today because I've really failed him. You have to stand on what the word of God says about you, okay? And the importance of the word is going to be central in this sermon today because it was what Jesus used to defend himself. He used his scriptures. And and the Bible says things like this. Jesus said to his disciples, the father himself loves you. You know, he knew they they were going to doubt his love. And Jesus said, just as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. The same intensity with which the father loves Jesus is the same intensity with which he loves us as his sons and daughters. Think about that. okay? And the word says things like this, Galatians chapter four, because you are his sons, God sent his spirit. The spirit of his son into our hearts who calls out Abba, Father, that Aramaic term for daddy, Abba, Father. That's who you are. That's who God says you are in Christ, right? Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But the devil will tell you otherwise and your feelings will tell you otherwise. Okay. Now, number two is this. Round two. Ding. Okay. So Jesus wins round one and he enters into round two. And round two is recognize temptation as temptation. Okay? I'm going to say what I mean by that. Because sometimes temptation can simply look like opportunity. Now, uh, opportunity is, is often a good thing. And you should go for it when you have an opportunity to be blessed. But, but make sure that it's not a temptation that's leading you into a place where, where your heart tends to veer away from the Lord. So it says this, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it's a word that literally means to prostrate, to bow down. I will. It will be yours. I'll hand it over to you. So you might think, well, he's lying. No, he's not lying. lying. He has been given authority over the world. So this takes us again. We, we always end up back in the Garden of Eden in every sermon, don't we? But that's where the story begins. It's the foundation. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they partook of the, the fruit of wisdom, of knowledge of good and evil, they, they essentially had given them the keys to creation and said, go and make it yours and fill it and show who I am to the world. And when they disobeyed, they essentially they, they handed the keys over to the serpent. And he got authority over the world. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. Jesus himself admits, he says, the devil has temporary authority over this world. I mean, it's crazy. St. Paul calls him the God of this world. So he does. He does have authority. And he's showing Jesus, look at, look at, what, I, look at what I have. Doesn't it look appealing? Now, think about this. Jesus knew that he was supposed to have authority and power over the world so this this would have been tempting, but this would have been the easy way because he wouldn 't have to go to the cross but by by bowing down to the evil one, you know just a quick just a quick pinch of incense to the emperor, just just a quick just a quick bow down and up and, and that 's it to renounce your faith, but Jesus knew that. The way to gain authority and power was going to come by a different means for him. It was going to be much more difficult and challenging. And so sometimes God does have an opportunity for us to advance in life and work in our family life, promotions, things like that, in our ministries. But make sure that you're going about that advancement in God's ways and not trying to take it prematurely in a way that is easy and not really coming from the Lord. So, I love this. I read this this last week. This is from somebody else, an author. But he said, Satan is by nature and by choice a deceiver and a seducer who is hell-bent on devouring anyone who dares to fall in love with the Son of God. I love that. The more you fall in love with Jesus, the more the enemy will come after you. He will do whatever he can to get at you and to take that love away from you and to try to get you to believe that his love is not on you anymore. Okay? So... He's a deceiver, and he wanted to trick Jesus into taking authority the wrong way because he would have joined rebel forces in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm. He would have joined rebel forces by doing this. You see, Satan always uses his energies to convince us that the fleeting pleasures of sin are more satisfying than obedience to God. He wants you to think this little fun, little whirl through sin and temptation is going to be so gratifying, and he doesn't want you to see beyond that. He doesn't want want you to think about what happens the next day when you wake up. What happens the next year when you realize you're still empty inside. He doesn't want you to see that and he wants to get you to go about grasping at the world instead of seeking the victory and the success and the blessing that comes from God through his way. Through a life of self-denial and following Jesus faithfully. Now, I want to say this. Remember this about temptation. Temptation in and of itself, is not sin. This is another little. This is a little subtle tactic that the enemy uses. You start thinking, I've been tempted all day with anger, lust, uh, whatever, and I must be a really awful person full of sin and wickedness. But sin is not, it's not sin until you actually give in to the temptation. And you've you got to realize you, you're probably one of everybody else who's a christian who's who receives temptation from the enemy on a daily basis okay but the enemy will try and tell you oh you've had all these thoughts about x y and z and consider doing x y and z you might as well just go for it because you've already blown it and eh, not true right not true so watch for that tactic because he does he does use that and you can't think that you're sub-spiritual because you experience a lot of temptation. We all go through seasons of experiencing probably extreme amounts of temptation. And everybody experiences temptation on a regular basis, I would say. But don't think just because you have a lot of temptation, you're you're substandard, you're sub-spiritual, and you're less than everybody else. Okay, That's something that the enemy wants you to think. Now, how does Jesus respond in round two? Jesus knew that he was supposed to attain authority and power, but he knew this would have been a premature an idolatrous way of attaining it. Jesus knew he had to obtain it through the cross. Now remember, after the cross and after Jesus is raised from the dead, he says to his disciples, before he sends them out, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it came from his father, not from the devil. So the keys, when Jesus died on the cross, okay, this is what was happening in the spiritual realm. We don't, we don't think about what's happening in the spirit enough. When Jesus died on the cross, God the Father took the keys from Satan, snatched them back and said, thank you very much, and he handed them to his son. Hallelujah. I know I'm not allowed to say that in Lent, but I'll put money in the in hallelujah the swear jar because I just have to say it sometimes. He took the keys and gave them back to Jesus. And now Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Over every spiritual realm, over every square inch of this cosmos. There's a great quote. There is no square inch of this whole cosmic landscape that we live in called the universe over which God does not say, mine. (laughs) And Jesus has all authority. And Christian believer, you are in him. So what does that mean for you and how much spiritual authority you have? And the Christian life is a matter of having the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see what is already true of us, that we walk in that authority because Jesus went to the cross. But the way that we live in that authority and the way that we exercise that authority in our lives is by being a people of the cross who, who lay down things in humility, who deny ourselves, who do not seek our own agendas. We live in humility. We live low before the Lord because he's our satisfaction. That's how we, that's where we, that's where we stay so that his authority can be working through us constantly so that people will come to know him, that, that sick people will be healed, that oppressed people will be set free. That's the way to authority. I love what Jesus says, though. He says in his response, it is written, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Worship. Worship is one of the greatest responses To temptation. When you're when you're in that place, you're isolated, and you begin to feel the thoughts of whatever, okay, men on business trips, you're away in the hotel, and you begin to feel that thought about whatever, get on your knees immediately and start worshiping him, because nothing will drive away devils like the worship of Almighty God. And the Lord, the sweetness of his presence will come and will clear and purify your mind. And renew your heart and push all of that out, okay? Worship is one of the greatest and most powerful responses to temptation. Now, you're not going to feel like it because you're going to get tempted. You're going to get tempted in the moment, and, you, and, and, and the devil's going to tell you, well, you're tempted. How in the world are you going to worship right now? No way. You're already basically sinning. And you're going to say, no, I'm just being tempted. I'm going to worship even though in my emotions I don't feel like it. And when you begin to worship, oh, the presence of the Lord. Oh, the presence of the Lord, how he will be drawn to you. Okay, number three, I said, is respond actively. When the devil's trying to beat on you and wear you down, you don't tuck your tail between your legs and cower in a corner. Because Jesus didn't. The devil will beat and beat and beat on you to try to get you to move back. But you're not on the defense. And you might feel like the devil's putting you in such a situation where all hope is lost. But brother uh, or Corey Ten Boom said the safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. And if you're in the center of God's will and doing what he's called you to do, like we read in Psalm 91 today, there's a shelter of his presence around you. No matter what it looks like on the earth. No matter what it looks like on the earth. So notice how Jesus does not respond passively. He doesn't go, No, 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 no. I can't listen. Oh, God. Oh, I got to run away. I got to get out of this wilderness. Help me, Lord. Help me. Just send the blessing and let me escape. He takes up the sword against the lion who's seeking to devour him. He takes up the sword of the word. And he responds actively and directly to the voice of temptation by speaking the word. So here's three sub points. I just love points, three points. I was at a conference last week and the speaker said, I don't ever have points, I just tell stories. And my wife always gives me a hard time and says, you should have some points. So he would like tell a story and say, well, that was point number two. It's, It's hilarious. I like points. It helps me stay on track. But here's here's three things to think about scripture and three things to think about how Jesus armed himself against temptation. Number 1 is that he knows scripture. Okay? Christian believer, let me remind you that there are believers in the third world countries and in persecuted worlds where they have fragments of Bible pages that have somehow been ripped out of Bibles and that's all they have and they worship underground and they meditate on it day and night and they treat it like it is gold. And you and I have numerous translations and Bibles and different kinds of leather and different things and are we picking it up and getting to know it on a daily basis? how to navigate it, where things are, maybe memorizing a bit of it. How, what are we doing to be intentional about that, right? Well, I just listened to the Spirit. No, this is his book, and if you don't know it, you're not going to hear the Spirit very well. Right? We have to be people of word and spirit, all of us, because this helps us understand what we're hearing when we hear the Spirit. Okay. And so I want, to be, I want that to be encouraging. I don't want that to sound like a, like a spiritual spanking or anything. But I just want to challenge us, if you don't have a daily practice of reading the Word, trying to get familiar kind of with where things are, looking at some resources, like going online to the Bible Project. I always talk about that one because it's an easy one. They got lots of little animated five-minute videos that explain things about the Bible, thebibleproject.com, really helpful resources, tons of resources out there. But Jesus knew the Word. He was intentional about it. He didn't just think, oh, you know, maybe a Bible verse will come to me when I get tempted. He knew the scriptures, and we should too. Number two is this. He speaks scripture aloud. He speaks scripture aloud. Now, some of you, you've heard me teach on that I get a little bit nervous sometimes when Christians uh, use the scriptures and say, you know, we, we declare health and wealth and prosperity because this is what the word says. And that makes me nervous because it's kind of sometimes like the new age idea of the law of attraction, that if you speak words, certain will be drawn to you. And that's a teaching of demons. That's not from God. But now let me because I want to be clear about this. We need to declare scripture. We need to declare scripture, but not just for personal gain. <laughs> I want the blessing of Abraham, God, all the wealth that Abraham. No. That's not what it means to declare the word. Jesus declared the word, and it had power in it. He spoke it out. This really challenges me. I'm not a person who really does this usually in my alone time, in my prayer where I speak scripture out if I, or, or in moments of temptation and trial. But I did recently, a few months ago, I was, I don't, I was sharing this with a prayer team, and it said, just getting getting hit with anxiety lately out of nowhere. It's really weird. I used to have a problem with this years ago, and the Lord set me free from it. But it's like rising back up this anxiety in my heart. But what I started doing, I'd be driving in the car and feel anxiety, and then I would so I would speak scripture out loud different scriptures about who I am in Christ, I would say, uh, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power. I would say, uh, Philippians, cast all your anxiety on him, or that's first Peter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So God, I cast all my anxiety on you right now because you care about me and you don't want me to have anxiety. And I'm telling you this, it would lift like that. When I when I spoke scripture, because God, he hears his people declaring his word and he keeps his promises and he'll be faithful to them. And he wants you to, in a sense, this might sound weird, but hold him to his word. He want because he wants to be he he intentionally locks himself to it and says, you can hold me to it. These are my promises. Okay. so declaring the word is a really, really helpful thing. Get a few Bible verses that that speak to you, that speak strength into your soul and memorize them. Memorize them. And and use them often, even whether you're being tempted or not, because there's power in the Word of God, and and it forms our minds and our hearts. Now, it says this at the beginning of the passage. This is the third thing for how Jesus responds actively. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say that with me. Full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? He was not passive in his prayer life, in his consecration to God. He was active in seeking the Lord, but he knew from his committing himself to the Lord fully that he was full of the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us that when we uh, put our faith in Christ, that the Spirit comes to live in us, but it also gives us in, in many instances of in, in which, through seeking God or being prayed for by others, that we become full of the Holy Spirit, and it's like the river gushes and begins to release out. And that's important for us, Okay. Because it, you can live a good sort of moral Christian life and have the Holy Spirit and, and be, belong to Jesus and all that, but J- Jesus wants to give you more because he wants your faith to be infectious. He wants you to be bold to share uh, your faith with other people because he wants them to know that he loves them. And being full of the Holy Spirit is going to put you in such a place of strength against the temptations of the enemy because you know that the, the veil the spiritual veil between you and God is so thin because you're walking in that fullness. You're seeking His face. You are with Him on a daily basis. You're walking. You're doing what He calls you to do. And it's, going to be, it's way harder for the enemy to get inside that bubble. It's way harder. Because you, you, when you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, you immediately start to recognize what is not of the Spirit. You discern. And St. Paul, in the first chapter, uh, first book of Corinthians... He talks about, he's addressing Christians who are being divisive, and he, he literally talks about, and he's talking to Christian believers. And he says, these things are discerned by the spiritual person. And he's, he's, he's making a contrast, and he says there are some of you who are acting like you're not people of the Spirit. You're living in such a way that you're not actually really discerning the things of the Spirit. And what it's caused is factions and division in the church. So there, there, you can kind of be a Christian, but not be walking in the fullness of the Spirit. It, for, for, but for all of us, we need daily to be renewed in that and to be seeking the Lord and to make sure we're walking in the fullness of what he has for us. I don't want to miss that blessing. I don't want to miss that blessing. I want to walk in all of it. God, what do you have for me? I want to flow in the power of your Spirit with joy and love and peace. And Jesus was full of it. Now, I hate this last verse in the passage. I really do. I hate it. I wish it said, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he closed his mouth and he never assaulted Jesus again. It doesn't say that, does it? It says he left him until, what? An opportune time. This was just the beginning. And I'm afraid to tell you... I wish I could tell you that temptations and accusations of the devil are rare, but he's always looking for a vulnerable spot in a good time to get you when you're down. He's always looking for it. But here's the thing, the solution, I don't want us to fixate on him. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve our attention. I want us to fixate on the one who conquered him. And here's what happened in the wilderness. 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. This is a fulfillment or a reiteration of God's people back in the Old Testament, the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they failed the test. God wanted to bring them into the promised land. They were afraid. They didn't want to go in and conquer the people. They groaned. They complained. They didn't want to follow Moses. da 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 And Jesus is stepping in where the rest of God's people were unfaithful, and he's being faithful. And he's walking through this 40 days, and it represents the 40 years, and he's resisting temptation, and he's moving forward, and he's saying, I'm not going to let the devil, I don't know if I'm doing karate right now, but he's blocking all the punches, and he kept going forward because he said, I've got to go to the cross. And he did. And in his victory is your victory. So hear this, you who say to yourself today, but I still fail all the time. I'm failing to overcome this addiction. I keep falling into this sin. I keep telling myself I'm going to grow in my prayer life and I'm just, God, I'm not, I don't, why isn't it happening? And you're frustrated with yourself. Now, I'm not here to discourage spiritual growth, but I want to build you up and tell you that Jesus endured failure. He didn't fail, but he endured temptation to failure and weakness in giving up on your behalf and won a victory on your behalf that God has given to your account and credited to your account. So you are victorious. You have risen above your struggles. You are. And let me tell you something. You're right standing with God. Your being in right relationship with God is not ultimately based on how successful you are at overcoming temptation on a daily basis. It's not. Your relationship with God and how he sees you is not based on how successful you are today at battling temptation. Now, I'm preaching a sermon on battling temptation, so obviously I'm in favor of that. Okay, I'm not saying throw morality to the wind and don't worry. God's just going to... That's dangerous to do that, but you didn't morally earn your way into God's kingdom, and you're not going to morally fail your way and suddenly get kicked out. So how do, you, how do you wrestle with these things? You know that you know that you know, and you renew your mind in the word, and you know who you are in Christ. You know your identity as a beloved son or daughter, and you say, I live above this. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I don't mean that you can somehow suddenly have a mindset and you'll never be tempted again. That's not what I'm saying. There are failures, there are temptations. But when God looks at you, He doesn't go, Oh, God, again? This one. This one. <sighs> That's not what's happening. He sees you in Christ, you are in Him, so you rise up, you confess. This, this, is the, this is the difference. This is something that someone said to me that, that made sense of all this. How could it be that I, I still sin and fail and yet God loves me as much as he did on my most victorious day? It's because of who we are in Jesus. We read today that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word saved, it means healed, set free, delivered, whole. And if you've called on his name, you are in him. And you have a new life living in you. You're more than a conqueror, St. Paul says. And you can please God because Jesus is living in you. And you rest in him. Because living a life of sin and failure where you've just given up and you said, I've just, I'm caved, I'm done, I've, I've just, I'm always going to fight this, you can't do that. You can't do that either. Because it's a lack of integrity. It's a contradiction to who you actually are. It's like living out a, f- a lie. You're righteous. You're in Christ. You're secured with him in heaven. So to live a life of sin and failure and just not try anymore is, is a lack of integrity. It's a, it's a, contra- it's a living contradiction. Okay? It's hypocrisy. But overcoming temptation and battling, even when you sometimes have failures but you keep going, that's to live a life of integrity in alignment with who you actually are in Christ. Do you see what I mean? I don't know if this is helpful for you. It's kind of some theology, but it, it helps me think about this. How can it be that I'm righteous and yet I see how I lived my life last week and God says I'm righteous? I don't get it. It's because of what Jesus did and who Jesus is and Jesus' love for you and his shepherding of you. He says, no one can pluck my sheep from my hand. Satan you ain't getting me, not today and not ever. You might discourage me, you might get me to fail on occasion, but you'll never take me out of the hands of my loving shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we revel in your goodness today. Jesus, we revel in your goodness Lord, we thank you that the victory that you won in the wilderness and the victory that you won on the cross, it was as if we were there with you winning that victory. It was as if we were there with you. When we put our faith in you, Jesus, it's as if we died with you and we rose up with you. So, Lord, we thank you for that truth, and we ask that you would make it a reality experientially in our lives so that we do live above succumbing to temptation, that we do live above sin and failure and addiction, not because we feel like we have to try harder to please God, but because we know that God is pleased with us in you and that it's not who we are anymore. To live in sin and failure is not who we are anymore. Lord, give us this right mind and this right heart to live everyday life full of your Holy Spirit moving forward in the things that you call us to so that your name, Father God, would be glorified. Amen. Let's stand together.